Thanks for listening to the podcast from Jonathan Combs and the preaching team at Eastgate Church in Rocky Mount, North Carolina. Check us out on the web at eastgate.church for more. And now, here's the sermon. All right, church, good morning. So happy to see all of you. This is something interesting today. Like normally this side is way full today. It's like y'all are are helping me so that I don't get too one-sided. I don't want to be too one-sided or pay too much attention to too many people. Um, Hey, Thanksgiving Sunday. I'm excited that you're here. You you braved not only uh, the weekend where most people are, are moving about and out of town, but you also got a little wet getting here. I'm so thankful for you. Uh, to be here, and we're talking about this idea of thanksgiving. Now, that word that came creeping your way there on the screen is a Hebrew word. It's the word todah, almost like ta-da, but uh, with a little O sound, todah, which just is the Hebrew word for thanksgiving, uh, and the word that we're going to dwell on somewhat today. And hopefully you had a great week. I hope so. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure I put on some, some weight this week. I ate like a pig, um, so I'm not sure if that's I think the Lord maybe gives us grace uh, over Thanksgiving as we're with our family that the gluttony I, I hope he will overlook. Um, but I, I, all those wonderful foods, and if you have anything like my family situation, there's people watching you, right, to make sure that you eat all the things, right? Especially my mom, because she's going to ask specifically about a lot of the items. What did you think of this and this? And she'll normally drop something new on us, and I'm like... <laughs> Thanksgiving's one of those times I don't want anything new, right? I want everything. She dropped some kind of coleslaw this year. It was good, uh, but it didn't, need, it didn't belong. So I'm just throwing that out there. Um, but I, I just need the stuffing and the turkey and the potatoes and all that good stuff and some of the casseroles. Thanksgiving's like casserole day, right? That's wonderful. But uh, I'm so thankful you're here. And that's why we celebrate. There's a lot of reasons. But the main reason that we should be thankful, I think, as believers is Christ Jesus. It's, he's at the heart of our thanksgiving. Um, family's wonderful. Food is wonderful. And all these many blessings. But none of that stuff exists apart from creator, sustainer. And it certainly doesn't exist apart from Christ Jesus. And so that's my hope today is that we would get refocused, recentered. Maybe you were able to do that this week, but if not, let's spend some time together really digging in on this idea of where, how, do, how can I have a heart for Thanksgiving that's more than just one day a year, more than just around some certain event. Like for me, I love this time of year. I'm, I'm a Christmas nut, and some of you are like anti-Christmas, and uh, you got problems, and I'm praying for you, but... But this season just gets me pumped up. I love the music. I love the lights. I love how my kids start getting excited. And, and, and just the weather, even for me, I, I'm, y'all, y'all might think I'm crazy. I get tired of 95 for a whole month. It exhausts me. Um, now, don't get me wrong. I don't want to be uh, way north where it's like 10 feet of snow right now. I, I'm not prepared for that mentally. But I love this time of year. But in spite of that, there's certain times throughout the year, in the summer, when I make when I get to go to the beach, or there's these events that we, we tend to hyper-focus on. Like we're just, if I can just get to fill in the blank. Some of you are students right now. If I can just get to the end of this semester, if I can just get to the end of the school year, those college students, if I can just finally get that diploma, things are going to get better. No, friend, things are going to get harder and different. Uh, not the same kind of hard, but a different kind of hard. And some of you haven't had to pay a lot of your own bills yet. I'm telling you. There's a world out there that's hard. And if you're focused constantly, and we do this as adults too. Some of you work jobs that maybe you're not thrilled by, 
Maybe they don't, they're not something you're passionate about, so you're constantly waiting for Friday. Or you're constantly looking forward to the weekend. Or you're, you're thinking, you know, Christmas is coming. I'm going to get two weeks off. I don't know. We're, we're looking ahead. And we can, finally, we can finally be thankful when we get there. And then what do you know? It ends like that. <sighs> Mondays are back, right? The humdrum of life. This is the nature of most people. It's, it's a human condition that we're constantly looking forward and never living in the moment have little ability to be present where we are. And it's from a heart, perhaps, that's not so joyful and thankful in the moment. And I often hear this, and this verse that you heard the kids read to you, and that I'm going to reread again in just a moment, it talks about this idea of, of three things that are the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. The will of God. Now, I have to admit, as a, as a pastor and being in ministry for a little while, that is a question I hear maybe as much as any question is, what is God's will for my life? I bet it's a question you've asked. Maybe you're asking it right now. Maybe you've been asking it lately. What is God's will for my life? And what that generally means, I think, is people are saying, I want God to clearly tell me what I need to do next with my career. I want God to clearly tell me what to do next in this relationship. What's my next major purchase? God, what is your will for me to buy this Kia minivan or not? No, it's not his will, friends. If he, he's never going to will you to buy a Kia minivan. What's your will, God, on this? And it's always these major life decisions. This is going to be a bomb, I think. And I hate to do this to you so early in the sermon, but I just don't know that God cares as much about these major life decisions as He does your character. He just doesn't. It's not that God doesn't care at all about who you marry and what, what job you work and, and what things you do in life. He absolutely does care. But I can promise you this, all of that stuff starts to make sense when the heart is right. When the heart is set on Christ Jesus and joyfully following His will, all of these decisions become clear. Much more clear. Because now I'm going to choose the career that most glorifies God in my life. I'm not going to focus on the money or, or where it takes me. Oh goodness, i got to get out of Rocky Mount. Please take me to the coast, God. That is something he's not that interested in. He's more interested in where can I be, where can I be situated where that gives me a platform for the gospel on a daily basis. Somehow, a lot of people have this impression that you know, there's this thing that happens when missionaries go overseas and they have this, everything they do, their job is all focused on, all right, a witness, I, I want to evangelize, I want to glorify God. And we get confused that that's a missionary's life when it's simply a Christian's life. It's, it's just what it means to be a Christian. Is that wherever you are, you glorify God in all that you do. And you're at on mission right where you are. Where is he going to give me the best? Then, then the way I choose my mate, and some of you, you get the cart before the horse really bad here. My mate then should certainly not be someone who is going to hold me back from fulfilling God's mission in my life. My dad used to say this a lot, and I've said this before, that you've got to get the three M's right, and you've got to get them in this order. Master, mission, mate. Mate is third. Not first, not even second. Master, mission, mate. I know who my master is. It's Lord Jesus. I know what my mission is. The Great Commission and wherever that takes me. And my mate should not slow the effort. In fact, my mate should encourage 
and be a part of the journey. If I'm not with that person, I'm not with God's will. <laughs> I'm sorry, but she's so pretty. I don't care. She won't be in 10 years when, when everything's hard. She, I'm not saying she's going to get uglier. I'm just saying she's going to have the appearance of something that is painful to be around. You're laughing, but it's true. A transformed life in Christ Jesus experiences His will. Knows how to do the three things we're going to discuss this morning. So the question is, and this is a hard one. It's harder than it might sound. Do you really want the transformed life? Do you want to know it? Do you want to experience it? Because that's what Paul is getting into here with the Thessalonian church. Do you want to be transformed? I do. And I recognize that it costs something. We've got to dig into this. These, just these two, these three verses really quick. In Paul's letter here, this is a letter to the church in Thessalonica. He's teaching them that God's will for them is to be spiritually transformed. That they're going to uniquely and wholly look different than those around them by transformation in Christ Jesus. And we can experience God's will for us through this same spiritual transformation. I think the text gives, I mean, and these are really clear, three clear marks for the one who is experiencing God's will in their life. First Thessalonians, let's read it again. Chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. Very quickly, it says this. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now that was the ESV. What you heard from the children was this, in very similar fashion. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. God bless the reading of His Word. Amen. What a, what a joy it is to even just read that and, and hear the heart of the Apostle. Three marks of the one who's experiencing God's will. I didn't make this very complex. <laughs> you might think it was because I was having a lazy week. And you'd be wrong, but I am trying to make it easy on you. Number one, always be joyful. Always be joyful. Now, right off the bat, you're thinking that's a ridiculous thing to say. I get it. Just the very notion of this mark, this being the mark of one who is experiencing God's will, is I'm always going to have a smile on my face. I'm going to be nonstop happy. It starts with a misunderstanding of joy. Is that perhaps it's because we're Americans, I don't know, but we have this notion of what joy is, and it's not the right one. I've often heard it said, you know, happiness... And joy are not the same. What's different is happiness is based on happenings. And joy is based on the Lord. Happiness is going to constantly be circumstantial. I I might be happy because today I ate something nice. I might be happy because today my my wife, my husband, my kids are being, being good to me. I might... Happiness is based on circumstances. That's not what Paul is talking about here. He's talking about joy. Joy is something that's almost hard to define. If you go and look at Webster's or these, it sounds like they're defining happy. And the reason they're having a hard time is because I don't think you can really break joy away from Jesus. I just don't think you can do it. Joy comes from the Lord. That's what the Bible says in many places. Joy in the Lord. That's the kind of joy he's talking about here. This is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus, that you would have this kind of joy. Now, I want to know what God's will is for my life. Okay. Or are these three things mark, marking my life? Because if, first of all, I'm not always joyful, I'm not experiencing the joy of the Lord, then I'm not experiencing God's will. 
it's pretty clear here, actually, this is the very will of God. This, this thing here is, this, this word will is the idea of God's blessing on mankind. This idea that God wishes and commands and his, his precepts that would be done through us and in us. This is the will of God. Be joyful. To those who belong where? Well, to those who belong to Christ Jesus. <laughs> so this isn't a word for everybody. There's other places I could go to talk about God's will for humanity. In fact, there's one scripture I find this a fascinating spot where it says that God's will is that all men would be saved. He doesn't will that any would be, be lost, but that all men would come to salvation. That's God's will for humanity. He wants them all to come to Him. He desires them all. He wants to love them, sustain them. This is His general will, but this is almost the specific, special kind of will that for us, believers in Christ Jesus... Be joyful. Be joyful. Always, in case you were confused, the word always is, is, is all the time. There's, there's no way of like getting around this. Well, what about, what about this scenario? Can I still be joyful? What about, what about if I'm going through divorce right now? Can I still be joyful? What about if I just lost my job? What about this sickness that struck me out of nowhere, God? Am I supposed to be joyful in that? This word always, at all times. It's not limited. It's not limited here. So be joyful. Okay. I'm a little confused by that then. I admit, church, as I was wrestling with this, there's been things in my life, even recent things, that were sad, that made me weep, that made me mourn. And I have to question that and go, is, that, is doing that breaking down joy? Perhaps not. Perhaps not. In fact, maybe joy is something I can sustain even through the midst of mourning. Maybe that's the intent of God's word here is if he's not talking about happiness, he's talking about this other thing. And joy, maybe the closer parallels would be things like contentment or peace. Can I have peace in a storm? Can I be content in spite of some of my loved ones are, are now with Jesus and I'm longing to see them again. Can I be content still? Absolutely, I can be content still because this joy isn't attached to circumstances. It's attached to faith. This joy then is an anchor in Christ Jesus and He doesn't seem to be moving and He won't. We just sang that again. He won't, He won't. Why do we sing that in repetition? We're not just trying to sound like some kind of Gregorian chant up here, right? Which is cool. I like those. But it's because we want to repeat things because our heart needs to hear it sometimes. Because our heart likes to go astray, but we need to say, no, he won't. He's not going to move. He's not going to fail. He never has. So my joy isn't attached to everything I see. Yes, this world is broken. Yes, bad things will happen. Yes, people will go on before you. And you will miss them. And if they're in Christ Jesus, you will see them again. But it doesn't help the hurt at the moment. But the joy isn't in those things. It's in something bigger. This means I'm not faking it. As John Gill once wrote, he said, Rejoice evermore, not in a carnal, but in a spiritual way, with joy in the Holy Spirit, in which arises from a view of pardon by the blood of Christ. John Gill saw it this way. My joy is attached to the cross of Christ. And that, that spot in history won't move. <laughs> that my salvation then is secure. So this idea of joy means things like peace and contentment. And I can weather the storm 
then it's all hinged around the cross of Christ. Man, that's life-changing. Then I'm, not, I'm definitely not faking it anymore. This, in fact, is a fruit of the Spirit. This means that joy is more about this idea of yielding something. That's, that's why Jesus uses this term, abide, when he talks about the vine in John 14 and 15. When he's talking about being attached to the vine, it's this notion of abiding, yielding. Because it's not us that produces the joy, but Christ Jesus in us that does so. And so now I have to step back and say, okay, Lord, perhaps this is why the next mark is about prayer. But it's this idea of stepping back and saying, all right, you see, God, do you see this? Everything is a mess in my life right now. Or everything's going wonderful in my life right now. Let's not mistake wonder for joy. Some people have a really hard time worshiping on the mountaintop. They start going, look at me, look what I can do. Some people are better at being worshipers in the valley, not so good on the mountain. Always be joyful. I love what C.S. Lewis has to say about this. This really shaped my thinking this week. He wrote once, If you think of this world as a place intended simply for our happiness, you find it quite intolerable. Think of it as a place of training and correction. And then it's not so bad. Imagine a set of people all living in the same building. Half of them think it's a hotel, and the other think it's a prison. Those who think it's a hotel might regard it as quite intolerable. And those who thought of it as a prison might decide it's really surprisingly comfortable. The people who try to hold an optimistic view of this world would become pessimists, but the people who hold a pretty stern view of it become optimistic. This is his way of shaping his, his mind, and hopefully those who read to think, it's not about the things around me. It's, it's not about what I see or the way in which my circumstances unfold. It's about him. Because this is intolerable, but he makes it something more. He makes it something worth living. James chapter 1 goes on to say something that's even more unusual. I mean, it's one thing for Paul to tell the, the church in Thessalonica, hey, look, always be joyful. Wait a minute. But James says something further. He says, dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Huh? For you know that when your faith is tested, your, end your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. That means when stuff, <laughs> when stuff starts hitting the fan, you can consider it an opportunity for joy. Why? Because I know God's in charge. That's what James is arguing for here. He didn't leave the throne. In 2020, when the whole world decided to shut down, God wasn't like, he didn't run off somewhere. It was an opportunity Maybe a lot, of, a lot of people missed it. I would certainly argue the church maybe missed it as a whole. That we didn't do as much as we could do. But that's in the past now. It was an opportunity. Our faith being tested. What can we do next? Our endurance can now grow. It's an opportunity for joy. For joy. Why? Because those things don't affect my joy. It's hinged on Christ. This is a couple of other ways it was put in, in the scriptures. And I could have shared a whole lot of scriptures here. Paul writes to the Philippians, chapter 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Nehemiah writes this, Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Where is your strength? It's in the joy of Christ. It's in the joy that I have in God. 
1 Peter 1, it says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. That means joy and grief can live together. Isn't that wild? In this season, some of you are going through great pain. Some of you are going through times of grief. Some of you are on a mountaintop because things are going well. Joy survives in all of those things because it's not hinged on happenings. It's hinged on Christ. Do you have that joy, my friend? Do you have that joy? There's a deep connection between joy and trust. Most of us trust ourselves or perhaps someone else. And that's very risky for joy. I don't know how you feel. I wake up feeling different some mornings. I don't know if it's how I slept or what I ate the night before, but sometimes I shouldn't, I shouldn't depend on myself for joy. And I certainly shouldn't depend on some of y'all for joy. I certainly shouldn't, shouldn't even depend on my own wife for joy because she fluctuates just like I do. My kids, people. If any of you have ever done one of those trust falls, y'all ever done that before? Some of you, maybe it's something you would never trust anybody like that. But, you know, it's that thing where you, you basically, and sometimes work, workplaces do this together. I find that baffling. I've worked with some people. I know they'd drop me. I have no doubt they would drop me. On youth camps and stuff, though, normally people are pretty good about it. But, you know, you, you're up somewhere high and you just, you just lean back and people catch you. And if you've got some mean friends, that's just not fun, right? But joy rooted in trusting somebody else. I've found that people just aren't that strong. Something has to be outside of that that's greater. Is your joy rooted in Christ Jesus? I hope you're getting that today. If you got just that nugget today, it could change your life. Because if you're constantly on the hunt for the next happening, for the next thing that will somehow put a smile on your face, this is a defeating life. But it doesn't have to be that way, my friend. If your joy is anchored in Christ Jesus, He is immovable and unchanging. And He loves you. He loves you. More than anybody on this planet, more than yourself, he loves you. Here's the next mark. The next mark is this, never stop praying. The, the scriptures are very interesting on this as, as you dig into this notion of praying and, and the idea of never stop here. This is one Greek word here, never stop, is this idea of without any sense of intermission, in, incessantly, without ceasing, without omission in fact, that you wouldn't leave anything out. It's baffling that sometimes we might do that with God and like not share everything. He already knows it all. What's the point in withholding information? In fact, it would do you great good to just unpack it. Sometimes I think it does us great good because it's good to hear it out loud to go just how silly we're being. Sometimes I have to pray it out loud or just at least pray it to God so that I can hear myself and go, wait a minute. I'm not that messed up, am I? Hold on. Did I just really say that? without omission, without stopping. One commentator on this said, not that saints should always be on their knees or, or ever in a state of lifting up their hands and vocally calling upon the Lord. That is not required of them and would in fact clash with and break in upon other parts of religious worship. But they have need of more grace, strength, and assistance and therefore should daily pray for it. So this commentator writer is saying, it's not that we need to constantly be on our knees and constantly be walking around like this. It would break other commands of God to be that way. In fact, it would sound rather Pharisaic, and Jesus talks about that, this idea of praying in the streets and being on a public display. No, but there is a notion, never stop praying, 
always be in prayer that your go-to is prayer. In need, in joy, in, 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 in plenty and in, in nothing, prayer is on the tip of your tongue. I heard it once said, this sense of when you wake up, you immediately put God on dial and you don't hang up until you go to sleep. That He is on, on the line. And such that as you drive, as you work, there's this constant conversation with Him or thoughts that go up to Him or that never stop praying. Prayer, prayer, prayer. Is a, it's just a piece of my life. I don't ever stop praying. Ephesians chapter 6 says it this way. Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. Be persistent in your prayers. And another passage is this, this notion of rather than be anxious and be worried about everything, let's turn all that into prayer. That would go a long ways for a great many of you. You're really good at self-talk, as some might say. You're extremely, you're worrying at all times. And so when, when someone says, hey, never stop praying, you're going, I don't know how that's possible, but you're already worrying nonstop. All you would literally need to do is take that self-talk and say, okay, all that anxiety, I'm going to ball that up and cast it up every single time. Oh, Lord, I can't believe this. This I'm, I'm, Even on my car trip, oh, man, did I just hear, did the, is the vehicle messing up again? Did, did he just pull in front of me? And all that worry and anxiety, instead, you know what? What would it look like to create a habit of turning all that worry into prayer? And then all of a sudden, something starts happening in your life. It's like the stress just starts falling off. Because before, you were trying to wrestle all that stuff by yourself, and you couldn't fix any of it. He says to the Philippians, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Don't be anxious. Turn that stuff into prayer. Don't spend all your days worrying and stressing. Turn that into prayer. You can do something else that, I mean, this might sound like a Jesus juke the first time you do it to somebody. But I've found that more and more when I have a, a confrontation with someone, I'll hit the pause button. I need to do this more with my wife, in fact, but I'm trying to do this more in my life that when, I've, when there's a disagreement between me and another, especially another believer, I'll just say, hold on a second. I, I'm not, we're obviously at a misunderstanding. Can, let's, let's pray for a moment. I'm telling you, that is strange, perhaps, to some. <laughs> strange if it's not a habit of yours. But at, when you start to build that habit, it's a game changer. Married folks, I'm telling you right now, it's, it's a confrontation exploder. <laughs> it's hard to be extremely angry and keep fighting my wife when I just talk to Jesus. It's just hard to do. And sometimes it really helps me to just put all this stuff on the table with him and go, wait a minute, okay, I was wrong about that piece of it. My anger isn't righteous. My anger isn't right in this. Or the offense wasn't what I thought. As I begin to pray it out, it's like it starts to solve and unravel itself. Prayer, never stop praying. Even in confrontation, never stop praying. Even when... It seems like your prayers are never being answered. That's the question I had this week, maybe more than any of them. It's like, what about, what about the miracles that never happened in my life? And there have been many I've prayed for, friends. Many. What about those ones he never answered? Well, perhaps he did answer it, and his, his 
not doing the thing I requested was his answer. And I need to understand that. And some of those things I don't understand yet. But here's what I do know. I shouldn't cease praying. I shouldn't look at that, well, God never answers my prayers. No, he does answer some of them. And, and other ones he answers in a way I didn't see. And maybe it wasn't what I liked, but in the end it's going to be for my good and for my better. And maybe I just don't see the picture yet. That's, that's the decision I've made, church. Is that I'm going to continue in prayer even when sometimes what I'm praying for doesn't go the way I thought. And it's, I'm believing this. I'm believing that if God sent His Son to die for me, then He really loves me. And if all of that's true, if I'm saved and I've been set free and He cared so much about me to do that, then He will answer my prayers based on what is best for me. And sometimes I don't know what I, I should have. I don't know what's best for me. That's the real problem here. When I pray, hey, remove that illness from that person. Hey, let this person live. Hey, God, would you allow... This, this would be really missional. That's really the funny thing. Sometimes I'll pray like, okay, God, we're about to do a trunk or treat this year. And we're joining with another church. And God says, let it rain. I'm like, I'm confused, God. I'm confused by your will. And yet he knows what's best for me. There's something I need to learn in that. And I don't know what that is. But here's what I am confident in. Never stop praying. Never stop. Jesus makes this pretty clear. This is one of my favorite parables. And i got to admit, it still kind of blows my mind every time I read it. I'm trying to analyze this thing. In Luke chapter 18, it's the parable of the persistent widow. And Jesus says this. One day, Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. There was a judge in a certain city. He said, who, who never feared God nor cared about people. A widow of that city came to him repeatedly saying, Give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. The judge ignored her for a while. But finally he said to himself, I don't fear God or care about people, but this woman is driving me crazy. I'm going to see that she gets justice because she is wearing me out with her constant requests. Then the Lord said this, Get your head around this, church. Learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. So do you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? This is one of those things Jesus likes to do again and again and again. These like open-ended questions that are like a absolutely, definitely, yes! It's, that, it's, it's this whole... <laughs> thing he's building of, if, if bad people who don't even really like others will do good for others, will judge appropriately, of course the God of the universe who made you, who loves you, who sent his son to die for you, he will judge for you correctly and will do it for your good. And maybe he's not doing it right now. And you could come to me later and say, but Jonathan, why is he not answering this request? This is clearly in his will. Has he answered it? Then it's clearly not in his will yet. Maybe it will be. But what about this situation and that situation? Hey, I'm trusting just like you. I don't have the answers. I don't know why he doesn't answer all my prayers a certain way. But here's what I do know. He says, keep on praying. He says, he's not going to put me off. And that these things are going to be for my good. Have you given up praying on something in your life? Have you given up? That was the challenge to me this week. 
And I had. There's some things I'd given up on. I don't know if God will ever answer that, quest, that request. There's some people in your life right now that perhaps you said, you know what, they're too far gone. You've been praying for them for years, perhaps. Maybe it's a child. Maybe it's an uncle. Maybe it's a, it's a parent. Maybe it's a coworker, someone that you see again and again, someone that you love, someone that you would like to see come to Christ, but you have tried and you've tried and you've prayed and you've prayed and you said, I've prayed enough. I want to be like the persistent widow. God, I know you hear me. And I know you wish, you desire you, that all men would be saved. What about such and such? Do it. Give me an opportunity. God, give me an opportunity. Help me to see it. Don't let me miss it. Never stop praying for people. Never stop praying for those things that you believe God will give. Until you hear his answer. He's not turned a deaf ear. Don't give up. He hears you. His timing is beyond your understanding. Here's the third mark. I know those were heavy. This one's heavy too. Be thankful in all circumstances. Be thankful in all circumstances. Always be joyful. Never stop praying because I know it's hinged. It's anchored in Christ Jesus. And I know He hears me and He will answer. He is a just judge. And lastly, be thankful. Be thankful in all circumstances. The Greek here is funny. It literally just says, be thankful in all. Give thanks in all. All things, all circumstances. Any version you have is going to fill in the blanks there because that's funny English. But it's literally this idea, no matter what's going on, thankful. Good, bad, ugly, thankful. Thanksgiving is my, it is my disposition. It is my natural state in Christ Jesus is thanksgiving in all. This is cool stuff. And so our thanksgiving then is, is hinged again on something else. Now this word thankful is wonderful. It's the word eucharisteo. It probably sounds familiar to some of you in the room. It's where we get the idea of the word eucharist, which is the Lord's Supper. That word eucharist means thanksgiving. That's why from the first century until now we have done the Lord's Supper, the thanksgiving feast. What are we thankful for? Why do we do that? Remember the body and the blood. Remember what Christ has done. That is like the ultimate thing to be thankful for. At the end of the day, if I've had a good or a bad day, at the end of the day, I know Christ set me free. The Eucharist, at the end of the day, I know Jesus is for me. His love is for me. He has set me free. He has saved me. I can be thankful. This is why we called it Eucharist. It means thanksgiving. Our thanksgiving is to God in the name of Jesus. Ephesians chapter 5, it says, Give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So everything that I'm giving thanks for in everything, it's to God the Father. Now you can make this fun. I'm going to tell you how you can make this more fun. Those things in your life that are giving you a great deal of trouble, start saying it out loud and see if God will change your heart on this. God... And this one's a funny one, and these, some of them are harder. But God, this car that you allowed me to buy, I'm thankful for it. You know, your car, God, it's jacked up. It just is, God. I, I, somebody was telling me about a flat tire they got over Thanksgiving. It's just, it's always one thing after another. You're like, God, when it, you know, I have noticed when it rains, it does pour. Isn't that interesting, God? I'm really thankful for that. 
Now that might sound like I'm just trying to say, fake it or save face or whatever, but I'm, I'm telling you, I, I, over time, the more I do this, it really does help. Just laying my hands on that broken down vehicle and going, God, this is yours. I don't know what's going on with it. Sometimes I have to put my arm around a little one and say that inside my own head. God, this... I, I wanted children, Lord. Um, I wasn't asking for this one specifically, this model, but it's what you gave me. And so help me. I'm thankful. As a parent, this might sound funny, but as a parent, it, it can be hard to be thankful sometimes. It, it just can. I'm sorry. I know it sounds bad, but there's times where in your heart you're like, boy, I wish they'd all go to bed because I just need a break. I just need a break from them. Thanksgiving does something different. Help me, God, to calm my spirit. Help me to have joy in this moment. Help me to spend time with them and them them to not be a burden. It's a shame that so often they're a burden to me. And it's, it's it's partially that they're little sinners and they do deviant things. But it's also my heart that I constantly see them as a burden and not an opportunity for great joy. That's a me problem there. Kids are going to be kids. They're, every kid in every one of y'all's houses is going to do the same kind of stuff. They're going to disobey. They're going to break stuff. They're going to do whatever they want. They come out that way. We don't have to train that. They, they come that way. That's the standard model. <laughs> Thanksgiving then looks at that and goes, but God, you've entrusted me with this person. I'm a steward of their life. Help me to be thankful and that thanksgiving is in God. This kind of finishes for me with this like final question then. It's like, do I really, really want God's will for my life? Do, do I really want it? Because if I do, there's things in my life that must change. I'll give you another C.S. Lewis quote. I was kind of on this this week. This is from the, from the, the story, God in the Dock. He says, we are not necessarily doubting that God would do the best for us. We are wondering how painful the best will turn out to be. I'm with him on that. It's not that I don't believe God will do my best. It's just I don't know how much it's going to hurt me to give up my own way. Because I've gotten pretty good at doing my own way. And I don't mean good as in like things are going well. I'm just, it's, it's something I lean on quickly. It's easy for me to do. Thanksgiving then, like joy, isn't based on circumstances. It's based on faith. This is why Paul once said, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. And he goes on to say a verse that we often misquote. I can do all things, therefore, through Christ who strengthens me. Because I know it's his strength that guides me when I'm up, when I'm down. I can lean on him. It's not that it's, he's going to make me throw a wonderful 50-yard bomb. You know, that's, Philippians 4.13 is on every athlete's face. But the idea here is more, I know what it means to be content. I know that God will take me through the valleys and the mountains. Are you able to have a heart of thanksgiving regardless of the, of the circumstances? And this is more than just being a glass half full kind of person. Those people are nice to be around, but let me, let me just say this. A thankful person is even more encouraging. A thankful person sees that God is on the throne in everything. 
And every breath, then, therefore, is a blessing. That everything I'm going through, I know God's in charge. He didn't at any point step aside so that I might take a, a defeat. That The story of Job reminds me of that. Like God is always in the picture at work, and there's a purpose, and maybe I don't see it now, but I'm going to have thanksgiving in it. Can you, my friends, be thankful in difficulty? Where does your thanksgiving come from? The next meal, the next happening, the next family get-together? I hope, like me, you'll find thanksgiving in the Savior. Are you always joyful? Are you always praying Thankful in all things. That's the transformed life. Let's pray together, church. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are, first and foremost, our Savior. That the, the, the only reason we can even bring this idea of thanksgiving up is because what you did first. We don't exist, first of all, apart from you, God, that you're a creative God, and we have much to be thankful for just in the sense that you decided to make image bearers, that you decided that you loved us enough to create us, and more, way more than that, that you would sustain us and save us. That, that picture still blows my mind, God, that you are the type of God who loves so much that not only are you creative, but you're sacrificial. And I'm praying for myself, my heart first, of course, but, but for the people, for your church, for this congregation, God, that you would help us to root our thanksgiving on the cross. Our joy, our peace, our prayer, our thanksgiving is all rooted in the cross of Christ. Help us to focus it there. Because, God, you know full well that this life is going to cast all kinds of different stones our way. That there will be all kinds of different ups and downs. Sometimes it'll be easy to worship. Other times it'll be downright impossible feeling. And yet, God, you are unchanging in your cross. Your salvation to us has not moved. I'm just praying for myself and I'm praying for your people that we could see it that way. That we would be encouraged by that, that this immutable, unchanging God loves us. That He has a wonderful plan in spite of what we see sometimes. And in spite of the fact that sometimes our prayers seem to just go into the wind. God, that you would encourage us to continue. To never cease in prayer. To always be joyful. I recognize that perhaps this morning someone has showed up today. And there's no way to have the joy in the Lord without the Lord. There's, there's no way to pray. There's no way to be thankful in all circumstances. Those who belong to Christ Jesus unless you belong to Christ Jesus. If that's you today, and you're hearing this word and you want to be a part of the family of God. You want to receive the love of Christ Jesus. Pray with me a simple prayer. As Romans chapter 10 says, If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised Him from the dead, we will be saved. Pray these words with me, my friend. Jesus, I believe that You are Lord of my life. You are in charge. I believe that You died on the cross for my sin. That You rose from the grave. That God raised You up from the dead. I believe those things. And Christ Jesus, I'm asking today, would you give me joy? 
Would you help me to find my peace and my contentment in you? Because my, my life, my world is chaos at times. God, help me to anchor myself in the wonderful salvation, this wonderful news of the cross. And God, would you now shape my life according to that, to your plan that was always in Christ Jesus. Dear friend, if you prayed that prayer with me, welcome to the family of God. And we're experiencing that love of Christ together and we're asking right along with you, dear God, please shape us. Help us to experience that joy that comes from the Holy Spirit of God. Help us to be thankful in all these things and to truly know you all the more every day as we help others know you more. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen.